You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Taking your first step into a larger world. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Here's where the fun begins. Follow me, boys! The Force is strong with this one. Why, you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder! <laughs> it's a trap! There is a great disturbance in the Force. This is madness! Hello, what have we here? You seek Yoda. He's no good to me dead. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. Jedi scum. Great kid, don't get cocky. Negotiations will be short. That's possible. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Welcome everyone to another episode. Well, actually this is a completely different episode. This is a supplemental episode and um, Ruby yes. just invited us over. Um, she was kind of bored. Uh, the Closed late one night and uh, she had some brand new scotch she wanted us to try. And so I invited my friend John Mills over <laughs> and John, it's I'm glad you could make it because this is some damn good scotch. Who am I to turn down Ruby when she's going to make an offer of scotch? I mean, come on. I know. I know, it's great. I'd be a monster if I said no. Well, and what this is fun is that it just allowed us to kind of get together and just, we we decided we wanted to talk some Star Wars, and and this is going to be a little bit different than kind of some of the usual shows. Um, We're really just going to kick back and and kind of talk through a lot of stuff. Uh, There's been a ton of changes, there's been a ton of things come out. I mean, we just had digital releases. Um, we've got new comics. We've got new books. We've got more Clone Wars that's going to be coming out with uh, the Anaheim convention that's about to happen there. Um, they're going to show a whole new arc there where Fives returned. Uh, and so I'm hoping that's going to be released online. Who knows? Um, uh, somebody will be in the audience with a Yeah, cell phone. there you go. That'll work. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it, there's just... Star Wars is is my first love. It happened before Star Trek. Um, I watched all three movies on my eighth birthday with my best friends. We stayed up all night watching Star Wars. Woke up in the middle of the night, put Empire Strikes Back in and again because it was my favorite already. And um, I, I just, you know, there's something about this saga that has kept me going through, like, books and games and you know prequels and uh hey we're gonna do an animated series i mean i don't know there it's there's something crazy about it what about you john uh well like you uh star wars is my first love i uh was taken by my father to go he my my dad loved movies absolutely loved them and he uh took me when i was three in its first run i have no real memory of that one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> naturally but uh then I, I mean people forget in days pre-video they would just re-release it in theaters over and over again right and so my first movie memory my first true movie memory is star wars and i actually remember the movie theater where it was located and i remember that my mom had to leave because she had a migraine oh wow uh, she made it as far as a as the cantina scene and i was so in love with it that my mother sat in the lobby 
of the theater for the entire rest of the film. That's love. Because she didn't, you know, you know my mom was a saint. But, uh, and ever well, since I mean, she then, had I you mean, as I, a son, you know. so. <laughs> I did test her patience. <laughs> I did indeed. But yeah, like you, man, the the toys, the books, the movie. I mean, I was there. I remember the West End games, man. I had all of the source books. I mean, uh, oh, what was his name? Bill S- Bill Slavisek? Was that his name? Um, all of the stuff that they did back then. It was like the original Clone Wars. They just mined the old sketchbooks and right. came up with yep. insane backstories for things. And man, yeah. So just Star Wars was always. I got, I had friendships that started because yes. uh, yep. we, we were we were in school. It was uh, sophomore year of high school. And I was sitting there and we were doing something for some sort of assembly. You know, it, the drama club got roped into doing this thing. And so <laughs> Scott, Joey and myself were sitting there and somebody just says, so you guys like Star Wars? And boom, there you go. Three friendships formed right there. So and and then what was great, you know, for me, obviously, I, I was young enough so that I missed Star Wars when it was in the theater, but I was I was old enough so that it was out on video, but then there weren't any toys or anything. And then of course, oh. you know, ninety seven comes around and it just comes back with a vengeance. You know, yeah. the toys and you know the special editions and all of those things. And I loved it because I was that kid for a generation who's only seen Star Wars like this. You've never seen it before. And it was so true. You know, you haven't seen Star Wars until you've seen it on the big screen. Because I think that that was one of George's geniuses was that Star Wars is meant to be experienced as a community. It's meant to be experienced as big as possible, as loud as possible. Um, it, it's a, it's really a visual tone poem, and I think that that's, you know, that experience, and then of course the prequels coming out and seeing those, um, you know, I went and saw episode two six times in one day. I started at midnight, and what? then didn't end okay. till the next day, and I was on the news too. Uh, so here in Dallas, strange man refuses to leave movie theater. That's uh, pretty much, pretty much. Um, well, well, what it was is that um, so I went and saw it at the biggest screen in the Dallas Fort Worth area at midnight, and it was great. I was in line. I was right next to this guy who had spent three months creating the episode two Obi Wan Kenobi robes, and he literally looked wow. like he walked off the set. It was that good. And then, of course, he had the Force Effects lightsaber, too, and he was just the coolest. Um, So I got to see the film then. And then the next day, there was only, like, two places in Dallas that you could see films digitally. And this was one Mm -hmm. of them. And they had two screens, so I could alternate all day watching episode two back and forth between the digital screens. And That's kind of cool, man. It was. I mean, I... and. You know, I the, the thing about me too, and it, I think it even was then, is that I've never been a hater. You know, um, I don't have that gene in me. I don't go into something wanting to hate it or to try and pick it apart or any of that. Yeah. And, you know, it's I... It's one of the things I love about you, man. Thanks, man. Um, I appreciate that because, you know, it's one of the reasons that that I do the 602 Club is, is because there's there's enough of that out there. And I want to be positive yeah. about the things that we can like. And, 
And we can criticize things and we can do it in a respectful manner to just say, you know, that didn't quite work for me or I don't think that that's as good as it could have been. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I have I had no problems with uh, the prequels. Um, I loved what George did because the more I've watched them, I think um, the, the the more I've realized exactly what he's doing and just um, I think the genius behind them, especially, you know, like episode three where we're, we're watching the, the democracy get turned into you know, the totalitarian state. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I'm glad you bring up loving the prequels because I, you know, I've often been, you know, the lonely man in the wilderness wearing a hair shirt, yelling at the top of his lungs. I don't get why you Do don't you eat love locusts too, stuff. like John the Baptist? Well, yes. Okay. Yes, I, my, all of my fashion is inspired by biblical times. Excellent. And, and you know. I really like that robe you have on. That camel's hair looks really good on you. <laughs> Itchy. Yeah. Itchy like you wouldn't yeah. believe in the summertime. <laughs> it's like wookie uh, hair. <laughs> yes. <exactly>. <laughs> wow, that was nice. Um, but, uh, you know, w- with the prequels, it's so difficult for me because people, th- I've been accused, and it, this is the most hurtful thing, is people will sit there and accuse me of liking them from reflex that it was impossible that I was going to dislike them because I was so much of a fan that I fooled myself into believing that I liked them. And nothing could be further from the truth. I love the prequels. I truly love them. I don't make excuses for them. Are they perfect? Nope, neither are the originals. And so none of the six movies are exactly the way they quote-unquote should be or, or or what have you or why did they cut this scene instead of including this scene and and all of those sorts of things but the prequels really do speak to somebody who knew what was going to happen through the entire thing and the analogy that I've always tried to throw at people is that it's like Lord of the Rings it it doesn't really work if you just read Fellowship or oh, yeah. you just read yeah. from Two Towers Forward and there are people that really dislike. The first time I read Lord of the Rings, I really disliked the Tom Bombadil part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really bothered me because <laughs> you don't know what's going on. But then when I read Return of the King, I suddenly got it, and I said, "Oh, I I get what you were doing with that. I totally understand now." And I feel that Episode One works in that same way. And I think that the reason there was some pushback to it is that it reestablished a galaxy that people felt they knew well enough by that point and it went against their expectations and that is one of the reasons I love the prequels so much is that I like to feel that I had paid close enough attention to the inspirations that were cited by Lucas and I'm not saying just me I'm not saying like I'm special or anything but I think that the trap that people fell into with the originals was they would read about the influences like Kurosawa or they would read about Joseph Campbell or those sorts of things. Throughout the 90s, spurred on primarily by you know the fact that the prequels were going to come out, I went back and I watched all of these Kurosawa films and I read all of these Joseph Campbell books and all of those things. And so while the prequels were not what I expected... They weren't unwelcome because I 
I feel like they were more intellectual exercises than emotional ones. And I think that if people come at it from that angle, that it's supposed to be a world where emotion is stilted. It's it's very much like THX 1138, where Anakin is the one who breaks through to bring emotion back to this galaxy that has had had it sort of drained from them. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I was um I recently reviewed a book on my blog because I had read it and I really enjoyed the book and I think that if if you're just wanting to understand I think the prequels in a, in a different and a more substantial way, I think this book is fantastic. It's called The Star Wars Heresies. And I saw you reviewed yeah, that. The, uh, yeah. And it's the interpretations of the themes, symbols, and philosophies for episodes one, two, and three. And um, what I love that he does in there, he talks about this idea that, you know, I think everybody, when they got to the prequels, they really expected that it was just going to be an extension of the originals, basically. But what they yeah. weren't understanding is that, you know, the story of the originals is is the rebels. You know, we're seeing it from their point of view. It's a much smaller universe. Everything's been shrunk down. Every, I mean, the idea that there isn't a star, uh, like a Han Solo character in the uh, prequel trilogy. Well, there's no need for that character in the uh, because you you yeah. have a galaxy that isn't been engulfed in war and civil war really for twenty years. Um, there, there's just a complete difference and, and what's great is that it really mirrors the whole like Camelot and that courtly nature of, of the world when King Arthur is on yeah. the throne and when everything is good, but just like Camelot underneath everything is, is being kind of dismantled. Um, and there's all this deceit going on. There's all this back and forth with these underhanded deals and everything that's slowly destroying the beauty of what Camelot looks like on the outside. But everything on the inside, mm-hmm. it, it's a whitewashed tomb, uh, to use a biblical phrase. Um, ah, nice. And, and so I think that that's really what's happening in the prequels, too, because it is about this this more civilized age and i put that in air quotes dink dink um <laughs> but it's 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 not it's being slowly taken away like the idea that um the jedi they're at their height yet at the same time they literally are in, in an ivory tower yeah. on top of the crap you know, Coruscant is is a planet that is built on the literally the backs of others. You know, and the and the Jedi have reached the height of that, and they sit above everybody, which makes them too aloof to really yes, understand absolutely. what's going on. And so that's what I think yeah. that is is the genius of the prequels is that George doesn't even have to tell you that if you're paying attention to the visual language of the film. Everything is there. You don't even need words in these films because you could just watch the design work, the shot work. Everything is telling you exactly what's happening um, from a motif standpoint, from everything. And I think that's what's so interesting is that really the prequels are drawing on even more influences than the originals. They're drawing on those King Arthur legends. They're drawing on all these other things that are really... Um, they're drawing on all of these uh, historical realities um, and and putting it all together to create, I think, George's 
vision of of warning of what can happen to us if if yeah. we if we stop being connected with one another and i think that symbiont sure. circle that they talk about like the gungans and the naboo all of that really falls apart because everybody in the prequel era doesn't realize that they are connected so the trade federation starts to get too greedy and really the entire prequel trilogy is what happens when greed completely takes over a galaxy sure from top to bottom yeah and 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 lust for power i i would also invite people uh anybody listening to um watch a movie called iron monkey okay because the you you'll when i watched it i suddenly got episode one on a different level which is the entire thing was constructed and I think it was released on DVD as part of like Quentin Tarantino's uh, efforts. If anybody remembers, um, he released a series of movies on disc, at least, that were Quentin Tarantino presents, like movies that he had found that were influences on him and, and he thought were cool. And uh, with Iron Monkey, this whole thing follows these two heroes who are battling this evil... Um, a Darth Maul like figure who, uh, you know, and they have a big showdown at the end and everything, but there's this kid that they pick up along the way who at the end of the movie, the big O Henry moment is that basically, uh, before the credits roll, they say, Oh, and by the way, this guy is X, which in the, the culture that made the movie, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but this character was was this historically significant mythological level character, and so you're supposed to have this moment where you go, "Oh, that's you know so and so." Much like the same way, at the end of Phantom Menace, you're supposed to sit there and say, "Oh, he's going to become Darth Vader," and so I, I invite everybody to watch Iron Monkey. I, I I really do. Well, and I think that the the greatness too of the prequels is the idea that you know Anakin does start off as somebody who's good and has the best of intentions. You know he starts off as somebody where um, his love become for things becomes obsessive. You know it, it becomes right. it becomes greedy. Like he can't let go of it's an obsession. It's not necessary. And what's interesting is is how love can become that way. And and that's what I love that George does with the series is he talks about how um, attachment can be good and bad. And that's why, you know, the Jedi take it one way, which don't be attached at all. And the Sith take it the other way, which is be attached to only yourself in your own life because that's all that matters. And really, it's somewhere in between. You know, basically, it's it's almost Obi Wan Kenobi, um, where you know because that's what I love about the Clone Wars is that we really kind of start to show the other aspects of these characters that we hadn't seen before. You know, Anakin actually gets to be a hero in the Clone Wars. Um, you actually yeah. really like. In fact, my wife, we just finished watching the series not too long ago, and she's like, you know, I really like the animated Anakin better. Um, <laughs> be, fair enough you know because he's he's a more likable character but that 
that's the that's the joy of the Clone Wars series is that you know there isn't room for it in the prequel trilogy, but Anakin himself was a hero. You know, he was he was somebody that you were supposed to root for and you know, unfortunately he becomes kind of the in the films, he's basically the Lancelot, you know. Um he's he's that character who can't let go of his passions for the greater good of the, of the rest of the galaxy basically. Yeah, uh I I think that's valid. I I don't know what it says about me that in the prequels I emotionally identify with Anakin uh, a great deal. Oh. There's a lot about his journey that resonated. But what I want to because you brought up the Clone Wars, um something that that always strikes me is it seems to me that Lucas in the later years, in these prequel era years, was more willing to rely on the multimedia experience. I mean, Shadows of the Empire, when that came out, the whole idea behind that was that there was a book released that acted as a quote-unquote novelization. There were toys. There was a comic book adaptation. Uh, There were all of these things except a movie. And so you were supposed to go along and you were supposed to read all of these things and you were supposed to collect all of these things and that filled in the gap the way that the merchandising for the original trilogy fills in the gap. I mean, one of the things I love to to throw... I have a friend who goes nuts every time I, I throw it out there, but he always says, oh, well, why didn't they say this in the prequels and stuff like that? And I say, uh, you realize they didn't say X-Wing until uh, close to the end of Empire... The third act of Empire Strikes Back is the first time they say X-Wing. But you knew what an X-Wing was because of the toys, because of the comics, because of the merchandising. And when they uh, get to uh, Return of the Jedi, there are so many things about, you know, do they ever say uh, Mon Calamari? Do they ever say A-Wing? And so it's, I wonder if one of the things that, that hasn't been picked up on is that Lucas has been more willing and trusting to... Uh, to the ancillary materials to say, you know what? I don't really need to explain these things. And I, I think it's fair if somebody wants to say it's a shortcoming. Fine. I don't consider it as such. But basically his approach with the later years was, you know, I, you know, it would take a long time to explain this. So I know you're going to buy the toys and I know you're going to read the comic book. So I'll let that fill in the gap for you. And Clone Wars in a way works that way where you see the beginning of the war, you see the end of the war in the movies, and they says, you know what, and I know you want to see the war part, so here's the cartoon. Well, and and I think that's really valid in the sense, too, that Lucas tells the story that he wants to tell in the prequels. It's the fall of Anakin Skywalker, but it's also the fall of the Republic, and they're linked because they have the same problem, which is yeah. nobody cares for anyone else but themselves in this galaxy. And the Jedi, the ones who are supposed to, are blinded by their allegiance to something that they really shouldn't be allied with in the first place. You know, they shouldn't right. be yeah, allied I, with yes. one form of government. They should be above that kind of thing. You know, um, because they should be in tune with the force, not with the Republic. Right. And, and that that's a great point where 
the Jedi's big mistake is they're not defending ideals. They're defending a specific government that they themselves acknowledge has become corrupted. And so if the Jedi were more the way that Qui-Gon was, which was willing to sort of go on the fly and trust in the will of the Force, no problem. And I think that's also an expectation thing that caught people off guard and didn't resonate. But anyway, the one thing I, I definitely want to say is that the the prequels are very much a more personal series of films than the original uh, Star Wars trilogy because if you if you watch the prequels with another eye, Lucas basically is writing the most eloquent apology letter to his first wife that anybody could because you see this kid who comes on the scene who's a wonderkind and then you see him struggle with the new powers that he's gotten and then he becomes trapped by his own ambitions and you know George and Marsha Lucas divorced at the end of the Star Wars run because it was I mean, in a sense, he became that way. He became the head of a corporation. He was no longer a rebel filmmaker. He was the head of his own corporation. And I I really think that he felt for many years trapped by Star Wars. He couldn't get away from it, no matter how hard he tried. And I think that in the digital releases, the fact that they, the Lucasfilm limited logo plays with repurposed Star Wars music as opposed to an original fanfare done just for them is very telling because Lucasfilm is more than Star Wars. It's ILM. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's Howard the Duck. It's all of these things. and But nobody ever thinks of THX 1138 or American Graffiti, which was an unbelievably groundbreaking film in its own right. And it's, I think it's a shame that he felt trapped. I hope that he feels free enough. Now I want to see him get back to the THX stuff and and do that. Well, you know, I think, I think he does honestly. And I think that his freedom came when he started making the clone war series and, you know, he wasn't Mm. going to be as involved as he became. But I think he fell back in love with Star Wars and storytelling because of what the Clone Wars enabled him to do, which was tell even more stories in this galaxy that's been running around in his head for so many years. And um, I think that I think that really shows um, my wife and I, we watched the Clone Wars chronologically and sacrilege and what is great about that is that the series holds up so well one of the the things that i've heard people talk about these days with rebels is they feel like you know it's telling this very linear storyline um and this very linear story um just a lot like the originals do um and whereas the prequels themselves tend to there's so much going on you know and that's the way the clone wars is too there's so much going on the best part about this is is that if you do watch the Clone Wars in chronological order, the way Leland Chi, um, you know, placed out on um, StarWars.com after they were all finally released, 
it does really fit together very well to tell this linear progression type of story of exactly what's happening, not only to the characters, but to the Republic, to the senators, to um, the chancellor as he gains more and more power, to the Jedi as they start, as they continue to kind of lose their power. Um, all of these things, while at the same time opening up amazing ideas about the Force through the, the Mortis trilogy, through the Yoda trilogy. Um, the, oh, I the mean, the Mortis trilogy was amazing. It wasn't that that was, was so mind blowing. For forgive you know forgive the terminology, but that was so ballsy. I you know like that was a, that was a show creative team sitting there and saying you know what, f it, we're just gonna go nuts. And it like I remember watching it going, what is happening? And it was so beautiful and perfect and wonderful, and. I, you know, Clone Wars, I'm always going to have a special place in my heart. But whenever I go back and rewatch an episode or anything, and by the way, you're a complete miscreant for watching it chronologically. That's just. <laughs> hey, that's I personally terrible. like it that way. I think it. You're I a think terrible it's really person. Cool. That's just awful. Hey, you I, can't I'm do not that. saying I'll always watch it that way, <laughs> but it was an interesting experience since I'd only ever seen it, the, you know. Um, just as the seasons as they came out. So this was a nice experiment to go through and and watch it chronologically. And for all those people out there, I think, that are saying, oh, well, Clone Wars, you know, it, it jumps around too much. I challenge you, go watch it chronologically and see how well the story does fit together. Um, because I think you're really going to get so much more out. And you're going to be really surprised at how good these writers were and how creative George is to say, all right, you know, you know that story about those clones? I want to go back and tell the story about those clones again, but we're going to do a prequel to the prequel about the prequel. But here's, here's two questions that come out of that. One, do you work the movie into that? Because I know that there were yes, a couple of episodes. Do. Okay, so the movie The movie actually in. fits in. So you have the very first episode of The Clone Wars becomes Cat and Mouse, uh, which okay. is the Admiral Trench, which, right before yeah. Christophsis. And then you have Hidden Enemy, which is the one about yeah. the clone who's turned against them, and uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin face off of it against Ventress. And, and yes. those both happen before um, the, the the big battle on Christophsis that's happening in the film. Yeah. And then, of course, Ahsoka shows up too. So it, it's really interesting because, again, all these things play out really well when you watch them that way. So you can see the storyline of the Clone Wars. And it, it makes a nice progression. And I've just... Uh, one of the reasons for doing it is because I started to hear fans talk about Rebels on other, other podcasts. And they were talking about how the how well they thought Rebels was playing together with itself. You know, it was telling these, uh, these stories and, and they were referencing other things that happened. And, and I was like, do you not remember the Clone Wars? It references itself yeah. all the time and if you watch yeah. it especially chronologically you see how well that they reference things that happened it might be subtle but they do it really really well and so that was one of for me that was one of the experiences of, of watching it that way for the first time because and we were I was watching it with my wife and we were watching Star Wars as a saga so we started with um we started with Phantom Menace and we watched all the way to Return of the Jedi and we watched it all in order. So the entire saga, at least what we have now, plays out in order, which was really, really cool. Okay, but 
here's here's my question. Something that that the Clone Wars very much uh, triggered with me was the unexplored part always has been, and I suspect always will be, the time period between Episode One and Episode Two. Oh yeah. yeah, that is a time period I want them to explore. And my so my second question, based on the Clone Wars discussion, is. Do you feel the same way? Would you watch something where they said, you know what, there's not going to be a tremendous amount of action, but there's going to be a hell of a lot of palace intrigue, and you're going to see more of Anakin just in the training stages of things? Well, you know what? Okay, uh, I'll answer that question in two ways. One, I would love to see that before episode one because they have the um, Obi-Wan Kenobi books, the Young young Reader Mm. series, um, Jedi Are they still valid? But are they still valid? I I, I don't uh, think they're still valid, but they okay. are very very good. Um, Jude Watson is actually a, a very good writer for young young okay. readers, and I have them all, and and I've read a few of them, and I I I look forward to to continuing it. But and and then they also did the same thing for Anakin as well between episodes one and two, and none of those books are canon in, at all. Uh, they're they're all a part of the legends line at this point. But the idea of doing that I think is fascinating for both of those characters because, you know, I think Obi Wan Kenobi. And Anakin Skywalker are the two most interesting characters in Star Wars. Obi-Wan Easy. being my favorite character of all time in Star Wars. And it's interesting, too, because, again, the Clone Wars really gave us some amazing depth with Obi-Wan Kenobi, who had fallen in love himself when he was younger, who would yeah. have left the Jedi Order if Satine had asked. Um, he admits that to her in, in a great episode, Voyage of Temptation. Um yeah, that is a wonderful episode. And You're so right. I, what I love is that is that he never stops loving Satine, but and his his um attachment to her is maybe a little bit more than the Jedi might be okay with, but Obi-Wan never allows that to compromise who he is as a Jedi for the greater good of the rest of the galaxy. Um and I think that's what's so amazing is that when you pair that with with how he tries to shepherd Anakin, you can understand why he is so frustrated because he's thinking to himself, I think, I could let this go. I know Anakin can let this go because I know it can be done. Um, I, I just think he forgets that he had an entire lifetime raised only by the Jedi and Anakin right. hasn't. And I think that's the one mistake. Is in, in the end, I honestly think he's too lenient on Anakin. Um, oh, he's he is undoubtedly a... He's the wrong teacher. There's no question about that. And something I wish that they teased out more that I think they could in a series between episodes one and two it, very easily is... I remember the novelization of episode one that... It sort of comes across in the movie, but not really. That because Yoda says, "Agree with you, the council does, but I do not." Yoda very emphatically is against Obi Wan taking Anakin as an apprentice, and I really think that that should have been teased out a little bit more because Yoda was against the idea and there's a, a specific line from the novelization where Obi-Wan has an internal reaction where he says the council went against Yoda which is really weird 
It, those weren't the exact words, but it was very bizarre to him that the council, the council always followed Yoda's lead, but in this one instance, they didn't. And so, you know, so that's that's definitely something I would want to tease out. But since we're since we're talking about like expanded universe type stuff, okay. We, by this time, we've all logged our reactions about you know what we feel about wiping out the old expanded universe and now replacing it out. with with what's coming. Wipe them all. Out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay, so when they wiped it out, the thing I've been unclear on is I rejoiced because the post-Return of the Jedi expanded universe was wiped out. I've made no secret of that. I was thrilled because it was just a cesspool. But I've really enjoyed the prequel era expanded universe stuff. Was that wiped out too, or was that it was. spared? Um, they oh. have a list of um, what's canon, and the only things that are canon right now are the... Con- uh, in fact, the new canon started with A New Dawn, and then continued with Tarkin, Heir to the Jedi, and of course the comics that have come out now, and uh, as well as... Um, actually, on the list is the new Battlefront game, is, is actually going to be part of canon. So interesting. It, it is very interesting. So those are the only things expanded universe wise that are canon, uh, unless so for some reason they come back out and say, you know what, we like that Dark Plagueis book, or you know, otherwise everything else is considered legends. But see, that bends my mind because there are things in this new expanded universe in Tarkin specifically. James Luceno wrote uh, Darth Plagueis, which I found to be delightful, and Tarkin to be pedantic but he re- he makes a couple of uh yes. references. tangential references yep. to darth Plagueis. yes he does the events in it so that gave me hope that the prequel era stuff was untouched well the that problem they said, is you know what yeah, the prequel era things there's too many things that go against um the clone wars series itself um you know that don't play nice with the pl- like uh even peel not yeah you know, living okay. and being killed on the wrong place. Uh, there's there's things like, um, you know, uh, Barris Offie, uh, things like that that just don't really go together the way it should. But something like the Plagueis novel itself, to me, honestly, I have no re- understanding of why that couldn't be canon because that, that novel has all the almost all the Clone Wars to go on. It has everything else, so none of it is really... Um, you know, getting in the way of anything. There are certain novels I think that they could pick out and say, and they'll, as always, they're going to use them as reference moving forward. And that's one of the fun things that some of these writers who've worked in the universe before, like John Jackson Miller or James Luceno, they can actually reference their other work and make parts of that in those references canon. So I think that's cheating, though. It is cheating. That, that's but, totally I mean, it's, cheating. Because, you know, it's smart. But but to wipe out something like Shatterpoint, which was a, I, I think stands as one of the few uh, expanded universe books that I ever read more than once, because it was. It's also referenced and in the new Canaan comic as well. Oh yeah, the fact that Balabla had gotten back from wherever she was, which was going crazy. After that's she, a good yeah. that's a good point so they do they okay. do some sly references to things to make certain points work and so um it will be interesting to see what moves forward because you know i think a new dawn was a fantastic start to the new 
canon. Um, I really liked it. I I liked the introduction of the characters. Um, I agree. And 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 I I liked the bad guy in it. I thought he was completely maniacally insane. Um, yeah. I didn't really like Tarkin the book. I I thought it was pretty. It, it was, was so uneventful. This is this was what it was. It feels like filler, as does Heir to the Jedi. Yeah. It feels like we we really can't shake the boat too much, so we're just kind of give you a Bantham book, basically from the post Jedi, new you know, Return of the Jedi. Oh, you know those old ba- like the, the Crystal don't Star. Reference the Bantam books. Please, you know we're no, gonna give please, you the Crystal Star, the Children Kistle. of the no, Jedi. No, you know that's no, exactly no. what. Tarkin Stop. and a new uh, uh, heir of the Jedi feel like to me. Um, You're actually hurting me. You're so, actually hurting me by referencing Crystal Star. I that, have that one hurts. I haven't read Lord of the Sith yet. It's actually sitting on my Kindle. I have uh, the advanced reader's copy, and I haven't gotten a chance to get into it yet because I have too much going on with literary treks and stuff. Um, and I'm hoping that one's better because it's involving. The character points that I actually really liked in Tarkin, which were the interactions between Vader, the Emperor, and Tarkin, because I think yeah. Vader has turned out to be the most interesting character in this canon because he's connected with the entire saga, and who he is now is something that we haven't really delved into very much. You know, uh, James Luceno did get to write um, the uh, the the Dark Lord, the Rise of Darth Vader book, which I really, really enjoyed, where it was like his yeah, first was good. mission, you know, as Vader after he had kind of really become Vader and trying to get used to the suit, what his abilities are, all these things. And so I think he's the character that's the most interesting because, two, it's still him and Palpatine playing this game. Like, now they're the two Sith Lords playing the Rule of Two game. And I that's so interesting to me. Other than that, I wasn't really impressed with Tarkin. Well, you know, it's definitely better than Heir to the Jedi. That much is certain. Yes, the less said about uh, Heir to the Jedi, unfortunately, the better. Yeah. And I wanted to love that book because it was yeah. first-person Luke. But again, it feels like, and, and this is the big problem, is if you're going to make these books canon, I think you really need to give people the reason to read them. And big things yes. need to happen in them, or else they do feel like just kind of filler stories worth kind of getting out there just to make money. Um, and that's I think really that what Heir to the Jedi, to me, feels like. I think it's a mistake, actually, for... Well, I... I you're right. The less it's said about that book, the better. So we'll, we'll we'll just move on. But I think that honestly what they should be doing is they should be going out and they should be giving authors more. What it feels like is they're, they're restraining the authors too much. Yeah. They're saying you can say this, you can't say that, you can say this. And for all of its flaws, and there were plenty of flaws of the old expanded universe, every so often you got a gem. You got something that snuck through, like Shatterpoint, like the novelization of Episode Three. Oh man, which such is a great book. I mean, best the, movie novelization I've ever read. The conversation, hands down, with Mace Windu and Obi Wan Kenobi when he's telling Obi Wan why he's the one who's being sent after Grievous is fantastic yeah. because it it helps encapsulate exactly how important and how great Obi-Wan Kenobi actually is because he's humble enough to think he's not great. 
Well, e- even beyond that, though, you're absolutely right. But even beyond that are the little snippets that he has at certain points where, it, especially at the end, this is what it means to be Anakin Skywalker yes, yeah. now. Yes, yes. Like, that, I will never forget. Okay, my wife is not the biggest Star Wars fan in the world. She watched it the way everybody else did while we were growing up, and she liked it. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine me marrying somebody who didn't? No, I and really can't. It, yeah, it's just not. Yeah, I don't like Star Wars. Get out. Get the That's doors not right true. That's impossible. <laughs> uh, no, probably I would have cut off her hand and thrown her down a pit. But that's just me. But uh, you are not as strong as the emperor has foreseen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, I remember when she read. She read it before the movie came out. Before Episode Three came out. And she called me from, uh, she was in Germany with her mom on a business trip. And she called me and she was a little choked up. And she said, I, I get it. I understand. And I went, what? She said, I, I understand now why, why this, this hits a note with you. I understand why you identify with Anakin because now, before anybody says, because I'm a... Homicidal <laughs> she was afraid I was, psychomaniac. <laughs> right. yeah, there's an outside possibility that might still yeah. happen. But really, what she was talking about was the fact that she finally understood that Anakin resonated with me because I've spent a lifetime sort of grappling with my own emotions and struggling to to be better about controlling them and so like the novelization of episode three is so good that it made a wife understand her husband better like if that's not a testament to how incredible it is and that's why like you know i i want to see it's matthew stover was the guy who wrote let me look at my bookshelf real quick yes matthew stover i want to see his name back in the expanded universe mix because this guy's got a talent. He had a point A to get to and a point B to get to, but in between, he made something beautiful, truly beautiful. I I mean, I couldn't agree more with you. I think Matthew Stover was was one of the highlights of, of uh, Star Wars books. That for the most part, you know, a lot of people really liked his Shadows of Mindor book. Um, I didn't love oh, Shadows yeah. of Mindor uh, personally, but it's a much better Luke book than uh, Heir to the Jedi, so hands down um, and unfortunately it's uh, heir to the jedi is a terrible air book when we consider the heir to the empire um by yep. you know uh timothy zahn was was just so good um you know it, and even if it's it I, I need we're gonna do it on on the the 602 club because the, the new aftermath book is coming out and i thought it would be an Can't interesting wait. exercise to go back and 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 look at the original expanded universe books, the ones that really brought it to us, not Splinter of the Mind's Eye, um, but you know it was really that Thrawn trilogy that set Star Wars back in the cultural zeitgeist the way it did in 1991. I agree. And poor Splinter, Splinter always gets no love. Yeah, it's kind of hard, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. when certain things happen there between siblings, but. Um, (laughs) you know yeah but but at the same time it's really like alan dean foster man 
like you feel bad for the guy because like he yeah. he must have thought like he struck the lottery. Yeah. Because it was like, you know, Star Wars is really big. I want you to write the first novel based on it. He yeah. must have thought, like, I'm in the money. This yeah. is great. It's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. gosh. Uh, one of the things, too, that's so interesting about this whole thing, though, you know, about getting rid of the expanded universe is that, you know, we've had so many years now of people falling in love with the expanded universe. And I don't love yeah. it all. I've read a lot of it. I've read a majority of the post-Return of the Jedi because that was the era that I was most excited about until we got to the prequel era, and then I really loved the prequel books. You know, I just ate them up. Um, And I've, you know, I read um, a majority of the Bantham books. You know, I I still think Timothy Zahn's trilogy and then his duology, the Hand of Thrawn trilogy, our duology was fantastic. Um, I thought the duology was better than the trilogy, actually. Yeah, um, but I, I, but what was great, I'm, re- I just remember reading, you know, Heir to the Empire, and then Dark Force Rising and Last Command, and those books felt like the sequels. You know, they felt like it was episodes seven, eight, and nine. Um, I think he really was able to tap into something that felt like we were, we were playing the movie in our heads you could hear the music you could hear the sound effects you could hear the characters he gave us Mara Jade and even though George Lucas hates her I love her you know so I mean there were some amazing inventions that he named Coruscant I mean uh George well yeah he had he had a choice of two names and he went with one and because he went with that one Lucas said all right yeah so um you know, and I read I all think, the way to. I think Ho- I, I think Hob Abaddon would have been an interesting name too. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not a bad name, especially with uh, the fact that it connects with George's scripts for the you know the series. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I read all the way. Abaddon to, means hell. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's true. Um, I went all the way to Crucible, and I actually enjoy Crucible. A lot of Star Wars fans hate that book. Um, I went as far as Star by Star. Troy Denning. Oh yeah, where they killed Anakin Solo. No, no, that was was that was that the one That's where they the killed one him? Where they kill Anakin Solo? Okay, Star by Star was six hundred something pages. Yep, it was a mammoth was a expanded mammoth universe book. book. I got it as far as Star by Star, and I remember at that specific point because I I hated the Yuzhan Vong storyline, and I got as far as Star by Star, and I read it, and I remember the specific moment I closed the book and I said. You know what? This storyline's never going to get better than this. And I walked away. And I went, I just walked away clean from post Return of the Jedi stuff. So for me, it all ends at Star by Star. You know, um, I, I enjoyed the actual New Jedi Order when I was reading it back then. You know, I haven't read it since it came out. Um, I, I just enjoyed it because it was a, it was a different menace. You know, it wasn't just another Sith Lord throwing at you. It was another super weapon. Um, so I enjoyed that. You know, I read all the way through the Legacy of the Force and, and the Fate of the Jedi series and um, all the way to the end. And, um, I, you know, there are bits and pieces that I loved and there's bits and pieces I didn't like. But, you know, that's the way it is with anything and especially with you know, Star Wars. There's things we love and there's things we don't love and... and um, you know, so <laughs> I, I and I never went into it. You know, I being a Star Wars book lover, it was never like, oh, these books are canon 
or these books are what happened. It was just me enjoying the story. And if I didn't like it, eh, what it didn't, you know, I didn't really have to care about it. You know, it was just an enjoyable experience being back with my favorite characters and then some of the ones that they created yeah. that I liked. But see, the thing is, and I, you know, I said this on over on Words with Nerds, but like the first expanded universe truly was uh, the Star Wars Marvel comics. Mm hmm. And the Yuzhan Vong are actually derivative. You were really pissed that of, Jackson didn't make it? <laughs> hey, come on, man. Jackson was wiped out by issue 10. <laughs> uh, or, Well, actually, I think he came back in issue 27. Anyway, um, oh, and Valance, the cyborg bounty hunter, was awesome. But anyway, um, like at the tail end of that series, the, the Nagai, I, I'm trying to remember the name, getting old now. But the Nagai, they were these alabaster white aliens from outside the galaxy that Luke had trouble fighting. They were threatening to to conquer the whole galaxy. And Lumaya, who was Shira Bree, who was Vader's secret apprentice, who was planted in the Alliance back in issue six. Anyway, it was all very convoluted. But the Yuzhan Vong, I think the reason that I straight out just rejected them as a storyline is because they felt derivative of that idea. Well, it makes sense they because didn't they feel... use Luminaya, they use a lot of those things actually in the expanded universe. They incorporate that. I mean, she comes back to be a major character later on. And in, in, um, if I'm remembering correctly, and forgive me, folks, I've read a lot of expanded universe, <laughs> and I haven't had a time to read all of them more than once, obviously. Um. But she, it's in the Legacy of the Force series that she comes back and she plays a big part in. So, well, well wait a minute. Do they make reference to her as Shira Bree? Um, I believe so. Again, forgive okay. me, fans, you because can write that in was and let us a, know if we were wrong. Because this no, is a lot no, of Star no, Wars me. going on in my brain. I'll never forget the Shira Bree story arc in the original Marvel comics. Uh, it was around. It was early sixties. Not my early 60s, but the it was around 61, 62. Um, and uh, it, it was one of these things where she was like a love interest for Luke. And she was really cool. And uh, Luke shot, used the force to shoot somebody when he was going on a mission. And they find out at the end of the issue that Shira was in the ship that he shot. And he becomes, I remember the issue title, I'm pretty sure it was issue 63, was titled Pariah because Luke became an outcast because everybody doubted his abilities because he shot this other hero of the Alliance and you went on this whole journey where you found out that she was actually a an agent for the Empire uh, in Darth Vader's direct employ to try to kill Luke at a key point. And instead, the force let him defend himself, and and he thought he killed her, and then she came back. I've probably completely confused and or bored half of the people <laughs> listening right now. But what I can say is that when I found out that Marvel was taking over the, the comic books again, I went, yay, because, boy, they had some great stories. Yeah, and you know what? I, they actually do. They use uh, Shira Bree, and they use a lot of that uh, in the storyline. I, I think it's... It's pretty uh, fantastic that they they actually brought that into the books, and that was one of those things, you know, that the 
the books like the films did the same thing that George would do. He they'd use what they liked for story inspiration, and so uh, I think that they took that idea from him and like, oh, we, well, we, this is a way we could legitimize what happened in in, in the uh, Marvel comics because I think all the writers for the Star Wars books were all fans of the series and obviously probably had enjoyed the Marvel comics and we're like okay how can we we use, I mean obviously Jackson never shows up in the books but um, Did, you know <laughs> they, they actually he actually shows up in the Clone Wars as a sly reference in the uh, the droid arc in the last season where well not the, the second to the last season season five um, and uh, that that crashed ship that Gascon and the droids find that's actually Jackson the bunny alien well here's the question though is what what do we have to do to get them to release a remastered version of the holiday special because you know what this is the worst dirty secret like everybody knows it exists you can find copies of it i remember going to uh, a sci-fi convention back in uh the 90s and finding it on videotape and i Okay, yeah, I watched it. I bought it. I watched it. Sure, it was illegal, I guess. But, you know, that's what conventions used to be for was getting the uh, the backroom stuff. But, um, like, what's it going to take for us to get the holiday special? Like, if, the, if we can make references to Jackson, why can't we get that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, maybe it's just because people didn't enjoy watching an hour and a half of Wookiees talking to each other in Wookiee. <laughs> With no subtitles. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that might brilliant. That might just be it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's probably it. Uh, whether or not Lumpy is actually canon or not is, is, a, is hotly debated, I guess, now with fans. Well, he was made canon in the novels that came out. Because they made reference That's to true, yeah. Mala, Itchy, and Lumpy yep. in those novels, but now those novels are wiped out. So it's yeah, no longer canon again. Yeah. They were there, then back again, then that. Yeah, it's a whole big thing. Um, that poor holiday special. Uh, it's what true. What they need to do is they need to remaster all of it, and then they need to add in, spe- they need to have like a special edition of the holiday special. Okay, yeah. Let, yeah. Let's make that happen, everybody. Uh, well, that's a good question. It's special editions. Did did you care? Did it really bother you? Are you Drew Stewart where you're just... It senses <laughs> you that, that somebody changed, you know, even though you know, if we're going to go like, say, with Mike Schindler's, um, it's, it's the actual director who's making the changes. So it's their creative vision still. It's, it's their desire. They're the ones who are... are you know, George is the creator, so therefore he has the license to do what he wants with his creation. Um, for you, did it really bother you that George had gone back and added some extra X-Wings in or a no? I mean, did that really just kill it for you? No, but what I can say is this, is that the special editions, as they were released in 97, there were two moments that I distinctly disliked. Not because he fired first, but the way that the editing was mm-hmm. changed yeah. with the gunshot with Greedo was sloppy. Yeah, I hear you. And I felt, couldn't have been done. Now, 
they continually tweaked it until the Blu-rays. Yep. And now the way it plays in the Blu-rays, I'm actually okay with it because they made it quick enough that it's kind of like, for me, visually, it reads as Han shoots him just as he's firing, and that's why he misses. Okay, so, yeah, I like okay. that. So it still almost makes him a cold-blooded killer. Well, yeah, but even beyond that, it's like it doesn't mess with the way I remember right, it quite as right. heavily as the 97 one did. Okay, and, yeah. But it didn't destroy the whole movie. Adding of the Jabba Hut, adding of the Jabba the Hut scene back in didn't bother me because it raises the stakes for Han. Mm-hmm. It makes it yeah. all the more noble that, that he, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, that he stays. That he comes back at the end. I'm actually of the opinion that though, if you're going to have the Jabba scene, you should actually cut the Greedo scene. Uh, because I feel that it's overkill and a little bit repetitive. It doesn't ruin it for me, mm-hmm. but, you know. I like that Empire- reading, though, because I like the way that it also influences Empire Strikes Back when he's, I have to leave, I have to get this taken care of. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, sure. I really like that. That's a great thought. But then there was the re-editing of the end of Empire in 97, the thing that irked me completely got under my skin was that the music editing wasn't as smooth as it should have been the the respotting of the music basically and then luke's yell when he falls down the chasm mm-hmm. i remember when the dvds came out uh i forget who said it but it was on twitter and somebody referred to the uh the removal of that yell as the greatest unchange ever i was like yeah that's true <laughs> Uh, in terms of the tweaking, as somebody who would like to see it for archival reasons, who grew up with the movie for 40 years in a certain way and viewed it numerous, just a- almost innumerable times, yes, I want a copy of the Untouched Originals because that's what I remember. But in terms of the films themselves, I don't mind the special editions the only one that at this point irks me a little is actually what he did to the end of Attack of the Clones on the Blu-rays. I don't like the way that scene plays now, specifically because if you're going to recut the scene, don't just do it in Final Cut Pro. Actually retime the music or change the score. So that that's the one thing, because he, he reorders some shots at the end of episode two uh, when after Yoda rescues them, which are fine, but the problem is the music doesn't line up right. And that was the same thing that irked me with Empire that they continued to tweak through the Blu-rays that they've since resolved and I'm okay with. You know, I, I was listening to another podcast and, and, and this guy made the best argument for why Anakin Skywalker should look like Hayden Christensen at the end of Return of the Jedi. And it was that obviously Luke has has never seen his his father, and so that yeah. by having him show up as as Hayden Christensen when when he was that that hero that Jedi, basically Hayden looks like he does in that last conversation with Obi Wan right before yeah. Obi Wan gets on his ship to go get Grievous and and Anakin walks away and they say May the Force be with you. And that it was almost the Force's way of of a gift 
to Luke to be able to see his father as the Jedi that he is taking the place of, that he is the return of the Jedi. And that when you see those three, then, you know, you're seeing the return of the Jedi. You're seeing, you know, Anakin is still there. Obi-Wan is still there and Yoda is still there and they will all be able to, at least from what we know of, of especially from the Clone Wars, the idea of being able to transform yourself is to become one with the force that you are there yeah. to encourage the next generation. You are basically immortal. That's the whole point of that. You know, whereas the books took it and they, yeah. now, no, Obi-Wan can only show up maybe four or five times and then we get rid of him. Because we feel like it's a crutch. But that's the whole point of the story is that the Jedi, or at least, you know, Qui-Gon and and throughout the rest, they find that that goal that the Sith have always been looking for. And it was because of utter selflessness, not because of utter selfishness, that they were given sure. the gift of immortality. Well, the thing that I've always used to, uh, to be okay with it... <laughs> um, for lack of a better term, but, uh, and and this is a highly personal note, but my mom died when I was pretty young. Um, and she, you know, she, she had a long ish battle with cancer. She looked one way when she died, but she looked another way while I was growing up before she got sick. Um, and so I've always approached Anakin looking the way that he does in the special edition as completely acceptable because when I see my mother in my mind's eye, when I remember her, when I hear her, she doesn't look like the woman that died at the end who had been, for lack of a better term, transformed by something evil, cancer, Mm. into what she was. I remember her vibrant and young and the embodiment of love. And so I think that you're, you're very much on, you know, locked into the same idea there where when the people we love come back to us in our dreams or, you know, as ghosts or what have you, they are going to look their best because it's an expression of what they meant to us and what they can mean to us. And so, yes, when Anakin returns in spirit form at the end of Return of the Jedi, when he, when he comes back, he's saying to Luke, you know, don't just remember me as Vader. I'm giving you a new impression to remember about me of what I looked like when I was good, when I was whole, when I wasn't a monster. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. It's a reward to Luke, in a sense, of this is what it meant to be Anakin Skywalker before he became evil. And that brings up a question that I I guess we've been debating for the longest time um, that I've been thinking about, too, and I've been listening to other people talk about ad nauseum. When Yoda says, when gone am I, the last of the Jedi will you be? Yeah. And does that mean that Luke will literally be the last Jedi? There won't be any more after him? Does that mean that Luke was the only Jedi left? What about, does that mean that Kanan and Ezra and even Ahsoka all have to die? Um, you know, what does that mean? And so, is Ahsoka truly a Jedi, though? 
Exactly. There you go. I think you've hit it the nail on the head. Dave Filoni even said the reason that she has these new lightsabers and you've seen in the pictures online that they released that they're white is because she's neither Jedi or Sith. She's just somebody who can use the force. So she's not on either side. So Ahsoka wouldn't be considered a Jedi. She would just be a force user. And wasn't it uh, Lucas himself that said that Qui-Gon learned the skills for how to retain his identity after death uh, from the wills? Uh, Because it's the Journal of the Wills is, if you go back to the original Star Wars novelization, that the story of the Skywalkers is told from. And it's actually been the theory that that is what Yoda's race is, a very long-lived race that documented the history of the galaxy. But there are well, Force users what, who aren't Jedi or yeah, Sith. Yeah, and that's what they their the question has kind of been to about are the 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 priestesses that you see in the Yoda arc at the end of the Clone Wars are they uh-huh. related to the Wills? Since obviously they are in that place where the force kind of resides that pours out to the rest of the galaxy. Well, what about the night sisters of Dathomir? Yeah. They're neither Jedi nor Sith. And yeah, and they are dark magic users, which they explain again in the, in the um, uh, lost missions for the clone wars that that whole uh, duology with, um, which is so funny with Mace Windu and, and Jar Jar, the most yeah. unlikely buddy cop film of <laughs> all time, yeah, <laughs> um, but completely works. Um, yeah, uh, she says, you know, the 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 mother says there that she is a dark magic user. She's not in in vibed with the, the Force the way the Jedi use it, and that's why she's been collecting the Force from these. Um, these beings on this planet because then she's going to use this whole device to to have it shoot through her and basically make her a force user so yeah that's what's so interesting is the clone wars again it opened up all these new things of that there are other powers out there in the galaxy beyond just what we know of as the jedi and the sith there are all these other beings and of course too kanan and and Ezra, Kanan's not a Jedi. Kanan was a Padawan who didn't ever make it to being a Jedi Knight. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and you know what? I'm glad you mentioned uh, Kanan and Ezra again because one of the things that really tripped me out, I don't know if there's any official confirmation of this, but they find that lost Jedi Temple mm-hmm. on Lothal. Or is it Lothal? How do you pronounce Lothal, it? Lothal, I think. Lothal? Lothal, yeah. So they, they find I mean, it. we could call it Hoth, too, just like George does. But <laughs> No, never. <laughs> but the <laughs> but the uh when you get to um Empire Strikes Back, there's always been the biggest question when Luke goes into uh the music cue, I've always called it this way, is the magic tree. Mm-hmm. When he goes in there, there is a doorway, a very clear doorway that he walks past right before he faces the vision of Vader. Is this why Yoda picked Dagobah? Is it was the home of one of these lost Jedi temples? And that is what Luke is going into. Well, that's because a, Ezra faces his test, yeah. and Luke winds up facing his test. That's a good question, but you remember too, again, from the Yoda 
arc that Yoda actually goes to that same tree in that arc. Oh, and, right. And he, it's a, it's a place that's very strong with the Force and the dark side of the Force, and that's why I think he oh, goes back to Dagobah right. because it, it shrouds his presence from the Emperor, and it's the best place for him to, to hide. Um, one, because remember when Luke is going to land on Dagobah, he's like, I'm getting massive life form readings though, you know, and the dark side of the force, all of that masks the power of somebody like Yoda. Yet what's great about that rebels episode is that it shows just how far Yoda's come because he's able to manifest himself in those little lights that Ezra is falling around just the way that Qui-Gon did to lead him around on Dagobah. So you're watching the progression of how far Yoda has come in the last 15 years as a Jedi and his training in the Force with Qui-Gon and at the same time kind of watching him. I I think, you know, when they talk about him being the last, you know, Luke being the last hope, no, there is another. You know, I I think um, it does speak to the fact that most likely it's going to be that Kanan and Ezra probably don't make it. Uh, I don't think that that means for uh, Ahsoka that that's that she has to die. I I just think at this point that um, emotionally and everything, the the story is kind of pulling us obviously at least towards the confrontation between Ahsoka and Vader. Yes, um, that's what I want. Yeah, that, that's I, what I was going to say. Is that's what I desperately want? Is I want. Ahsoka to face Vader to be that first moment where Vader is confronted with that like it's the first it's the first crack in the facade of oh my gosh what have I done I think first moment where he's forced to Mm -hmm. to realize the impact of everything that he has done every bad decision he's made yes yes and it, it does worry me you know Dave has talked about you know that um even at this point if if a he if they face off, you know, uh, Ahsoka, Anakin probably sees her. He's twisted in his mind that she abandoned him, you know, um, because that's where he kind of is mentally, that everybody abandoned him. Um, Obi-Wan right. abandoned him. Padme abandoned him. Everybody abandoned him. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think it's when that happens, it's going to be an interesting thing. But on the question of whether the last of the Jedi Luke is, you know, um, I think it just means that he's the last Jedi that's been trained by Yoda. He's the last one that really has the 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 blessing of of what it meant to be a Jedi from the last Jedi. And therefore well, he, to go and obviously rebuild the Jedi order and it's going to be different because Luke is not playing by the same rules as Yoda did. In fact, Yoda's not even playing by his same rules because he's going to be training a boy who is too old. At least that's what yeah. he thinks, or he would have thought. He's, in, in a sense, though, Yoda is restoring the order back to basics. Mm-hmm. He has recognized by that point that uh, what destroyed the Jedi was their dogmatic mm-hmm. intractability. Mm-hmm. And so the training of Luke is different than the training that Vader received, that any Jedi received, because it recognizes the limitations 
of what came before. And so I think that is truly the, you know, when he says the last of the Jedi will you be, he's spot on in the sense that there's nobody left who's been trained at all. Well, not trained at all, but who's been trained to the point where they can face Vader and the Emperor. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, it's a true playing of the balance sheet because if you think about it, okay, let's strip away the expanded universe. When you have episode four, what is now referred to as episode four, you have Vader and the Emperor, Obi-Wan and Yoda. Luke shows up, throws the balance out of whack. Obi-Wan gets cut down. Luke and Yoda, Vader and Emperor. Yoda dies. You have Vader and Emperor and Luke. Luke winds up restoring being the, the, the fulcrum upon which the Force can restore balance because now the dark side is too powerful. Now it's gotten mm-hmm. to the point where it, it, you know, it needs to at least go down to one-to-one. And then Vader makes his decision, and Luke becomes the synthesis of everything. That's why he's got the mechanical hand. That's why he's dressed in black but is the hero. Is He's the synthesis of every lesson learned to that point and the new hope for the Jedi. Mm. And and you know and why they return. And I think that's um, you know, that's one of the things that um, for me personally about the, the Force Awakens that I've been worried about and kind of hearing about you know what Luke's role is going to be and mm. it, it makes me um anxious because I feel like they're not taking the steps that I would have liked to have seen taken where yeah. Luke is creating a new Jedi Order. But not one that's bound to a government, but one that is bound to the force and the will of the force and um, that he's taken the lessons of some and, and that he's been able to study because he has Obi-Wan, he has Yoda, he even has Qui-Gon, you know, to, to be able to help teach him and guide him to create a, a, a stronger Jedi Order so that when they face a new enemy, this new enemy is going to have to be worse than the Emperor. It's going to be worse than, than you know... Um, and he will have hopefully trained the new, the next generation of Jedi um, to be able to face that. And, you know, that's their, their crucible. That's what they have to face to overcome, to create peace and order in the galaxy. Yes, but the thing that I'm looking for to make sure that uh, th- that I think they understood it as you know it could be a wonderful movie and completely defy my expectations that's true i'm willing i'm completely willing to accept that and that that's why this is such a dangerous time you know it's a dangerous time for you uh going into this though is is this just going to be mass market movie making or is this going to be something made with the love and attention to understand that in episode one, you see the end of the old order. It it doesn't become apparent until episodes two and three, but it's really the end of the golden age. Mm-hmm. In episode four, you see the end of the empire. It doesn't become apparent until Return of the Jedi, but destroying the Death Star breaks their back because it is the new hope. It is, you know, the return of everything good and wholesome in the galaxy. So what I'm looking for in uh, 
episode seven is that same sort of echo of the fall of an order. Now it's going to be it's going to have to be spurred on by the return of the Sith this time instead of instead of the return of the Jedi. So you know that that's what I'm looking for is I want to see the same you said it earlier when we first started the conversation like I want to see the the tone poem continue. I want to see that carry on uh because you know that that's really like it's very difficult because it feels like the entire story that needs to be told has been told and that's what's been safe about the expanded universe is even when it sucked it was okay because it didn't violate the film arc and so you could ignore the things yeah. that, that were no good this you can't ignore this has to be accepted as part of the story arc that becomes difficult and i think that's it really does what ruins me uh, not ruins me but that's what worries me when i realize that george isn't involved and that they threw away his story treatments pretty much to create a story that they wanted to create and right. i like that you know lawrence kasdan is inv- in, in, you know involved but it would have made me feel much better if it just hadn't been like Kasdan and, um, you know, J.J. Abrams writing the script and it had been somebody like Kasdan and Dave Filoni writing the script. Because I think right. Dave understands Star Wars in a way that nobody else does because he's been sitting under George he for 10 years sure. learning how to yeah. make Star Wars. I mean, there's that great um, – one of the great extras with the digital release is a um, – uh, a whole scene of George talking about the Force in a story meeting with the Clone Wars and talking about how it works and all of those things. When you realize that for 10 years, those guys that created those shows, and especially Dave, were sitting there listening to George talk about the universe in that kind of detail, um, they understand it, I think, in a way that just nobody else does right now. And... um Again, I, it it when things transcend their creator um, artistically, it it always it can be a very good thing. Like say um, Star Trek, kind of transcending what what Roddenberry had created with Deep <laughs> season Space Nine. three of season three of the Next Generation. Exactly. Yes. Um, or it can it can not go that way it can be terrible and um so i I think that's where we're gonna see is is this is this the best thing or is it the worst thing when fans start to make it um and it can be great or it can be terrible and i like you I, i need to take all those any kind of expectations for this and just throw them out the window and go in and just try to watch the film as a fan first and then judge whether I think it's actually worthy of kind of being a part of the canon in the same ways that I I remember going in to see the Clone Wars film and what is this? Is this going to be good? And I walked out of that film loving it. I I oh I, I, I was I was surprised it. by the Clone Wars exactly movie. exactly. I, I remember I I saw it with uh, my friends Kristen and Carl and I. I remember going in and saying, ah, this is, you know, going to be forgettable or whatever. And at the end of it, looking at Carl and saying, what, I, I really like that. 
that, that was, was so much pretty fun. cool. Yeah, what what happened? The thing that concerns me is I think J.J. Abrams is very competent. And, you know, he's a good director and producer. And he has good story ideas. But I don't see anything. For instance, let's, let's take his uh, his most recent work. Is there anything truly transcendent or of a deeper meaning about Star Trek in 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness? You know, I think there's, you know, that's a great question. I, I think there's some great, I, I think Star Trek 09 is a very strong film and it's a great kind of reinterpretation of the original series uh, for a new generation. Um, I think it's it's a very good film. Um, I think Star Trek Into Darkness has some really good parts to it. I especially like the way that they they challenge the Kirk character because obviously he's different in this this series. You know, um, he's petulant. He's a little bit like Anakin in a lot of ways. Um, he's That's he, he's too smart for his own good sometimes, and his pride gets in the way. And what I really love is his whole arc. And, it, and there's a great father arc there, too, with, with Pike, you know, being the father that he never had. There's a lot of great things in there that got covered up by some of the, the, the ways in which they were afraid to really go with what they had created, which was the freedom to do whatever you wanted. And so instead, they they mirrored too much what had already been done. And I think that, you know, um, that's what made the Clone Wars so great is that they didn't do that. George was pushing the boundaries of what it meant to be Star Wars. And, um, but he was doing it in a way that was Star Wars-y. You know, because George understands what Star Wars is, obviously. He's he's George freaking Lucas. That might be the title of the show. He's George freaking Lucas. (laughs) Um, That's a winner. Uh, Cut it and print. But it being somebody else, it, it makes me worry that they might not understand the, the property as well as Lucas does. And again, I haven't seen the film, so I can't judge it. But I understand what you're saying. Um, I think maybe one of the reasons that they have J.J. Abrams doing this is that he is a good opener. He's a great ability to create the mystery box. But he's not necessarily good at unveiling what the actual mystery is. So I think JJ is a perfect person to kind of open the series and then hand it off to somebody else. And hope, hopefully Ryan Johnson is Irving Kirshnerist. Um, you know, he who can really take the material and then run with it. Now, Kershaw isn't a perfect director, obviously. He cost George a lot of money and he was very hard to rein in. Um, but at the same time, he did, I think, really create um Star Wars. Oh, and he, he created, create fashion he created Star Wars, something special. Yeah, he did. So, yeah. and and I, but no, no at the same time, if you've watched the extended scenes of Empire Strikes Back, um, especially just even take the corridor scene where it's Han and Leia bantering oh, sure. back and forth, that is all editing because yep. otherwise it's horrible. It's yes. horrible. George was a great editor, and he was able to create and craft exactly the performances that came out in 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 a fantastic way so yeah um agree with this with this new trilogy it just 
it just worries me. And 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 then of course these spin-off films like Rogue One, I'm just like I if you're yeah, not but giving we don't me an Obi Wan Kenobi trilogy with you and McGregor, oh. which I don't know why they're not doing, um, it, it's insane. I would love to see them do that. And now, and the, Ewan would totally do it. Ewan is yeah. still in. I mean, you saw him on the Graham. Have you seen the clip with him in the Graham Norton show where he's still playing with lightsabers with Graham Norton? Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, it's just fantastic. The guy loves Star Wars still. He's waiting for the call. The one thing I would give them the benefit of the doubt of with the uh, the the standalones is Rogue One could very easily be uh, set during the original trilogy era. It doesn't need to be set. It's a standalone. It doesn't need to occur during the right. new timeline. Yeah, that's true. And if they're doing it that way, then I'm more hopeful about it. I, I mean, in a sense, you have to almost be afraid of if the standalone movie is better than like episode seven or episode eight, that creates its own problem. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know what to make of that one yet. I'm excited. I mean, Felicity Jones, uh, you know, that's fantastic. She's a fantastic actress. Um, she's already said she if she gets to have a lightsaber, she wants it pink. So um, huh. yay for all the fangirls. Um, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Blue or green, unless Sam Jackson is begging you for a purple. That lightsaber. is true. And when it's Sam Jackson, blue or green, a Sith Lord. Uh, oh, uh, his worst you know performance what? ever. To, I will come through this connection. <laughs> I will kill you. I love his performance. Okay, I love fine. his performance as Mace Windu. Okay. I love Mace Windu. I like I remember Mace Windu there was, too, but more uh, because I like no. him in the Clone Wars series. Than no, I do in the films. I love him. I love him in the prequels too. There was actually before the Clone Wars ever came out. There was um, again a, a, a personal note. I had a, a, a brief hospital stay. It was a medication problem, and uh, they they were all very concerned. Because, like, I, you know, meant, I was very mentally mixed up. And uh, <laughs> my brother was, of course, you know, at the bedside and everything. And I'm, I'm laying there. And he says to me, uh, you know, it's the day after, you know, I'm coming out of everything. And he says to me, he says, so uh, who's your favorite Jedi? And I go, well, you know, it, it's either Mace Windu or Qui-Gon. You really had to pose the question in a different way. And he looked at the nurse and he said, yeah, he, he's going to be fine. <laughs> That's Mace awesome. Windu's awesome. I love I him like in the prequels. Um, I've never had a problem with him. I know some fans do, but I, I, I really, I I like Mace Windu. I just think that one scene where he's like, a Sith Lord? It's just, it makes me crack up, but. Disagree. Disagree. That's Okay. Hey, think, that's that's what we that's what makes us great Star Wars fans. We yeah. disagree, and we're just kidding. But you know, other yeah. fans would be like, "How dare you?" That's that's a very good point, and that's why it's always fun to come by the six hundred two club, is because we can have a friendly disagreements about things. Exactly. Well, you know, we've been talking for a long time, and we haven't even gotten to the new comics yet. Um, you know, we've had Vader and Leia and and the new and the Star Wars title, just Star Wars, and then the Kanan Last Padawan series yeah. started. And of those, um, which ones have you liked? Have you had any issues? Especially, obviously, we get we're new canon now, so the, these are canon. These are part of the, you know, the the Star Wars saga. Have they been living up to that, you know, hype that that idea 
for you and maybe hopefully more so than the books yeah uh the star wars main title uh i really thought what they did with the um with luke's first confrontation with vader i was very skeptical uh we talked about it on commentary track stars off topic uh, during the clone wars where luke faces vader before empire strikes back and i was very dismissive initially saying no that's kind of crazy but the way that they handled it won me over the same way that they that they handled the uh dooku versus anakin confrontations in the clone wars where i said oh this completely works okay clever enough uh the darth vader series has been very gratifying and the princess leia series i have enjoyed so far so what about you? Um, I still struggle with the Star Wars title. Really? And um, and I was listening to another show, um, a podcast, and and the guy made a great point. He felt like they were just trying to do too much too fast, like with that mm. Star Wars title. Like, we're just going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. So, you know, first issue, it ends with Luke and Vader facing off. Um. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit at that point. I, I, I'm, um, it's, it seems like too much too soon because there's a pretty good chunk of time between, I don't know. It just doesn't quite work for me, that confrontation, but there's some other things about it that I really like. Um, and so, I mean, I, I can't really judge too much because they haven't, they've only had three issues, um. You know, I liked the end of issue three where um, these uh, people are passing by Kenobi's house. And obviously Kenobi's not there anymore. He's dead now. But um, there's a box inside his house and on it, it says for Luke. And so yeah. just that whole idea of some of those things of what did Luke, what Luke learned before Empire, I think were really exciting. And that's one of the frustrations that I have with... Um, the the heir to the Jedi book was that we it, it could have been really exciting to learn what Luke is learning before yeah. we get to Empire and yet it's so minuscule in that book the things that we really are having Luke learn that are any kind of exciting I mean the only thing that was exciting was that he got a new lightsaber and he took it apart and was trying to figure out how, how it works. So, which will set up obviously him building a new lightsaber for Return of which, the Jedi. But, but it was <laughs> it was so pedantic. It was so blasé. It, it wasn't exciting well, or any it, of those it, things. It also creates its own problem because the they described the blade as amethyst, which is purple, which Mace Windu was supposed to be very special. In the fact that he had a purple lightsaber yeah. and somebody else had a purple lightsaber. I got a real problem with that. Yeah. A real serious problem with yeah. that. Um, it, so, but yeah, the Star Wars series, I, I'm in, uh, it's good. Um, I The Vader series has been the standout for me for the most part. I think it's, Vader Granted, is the most yeah. interesting character. Um, and I really like getting to see what's going on in his head. And the, obviously the game between him and, and Palpatine and especially setting up that whole why he's chasing after Luke and how he kind of has to redeem himself in the eyes of the Emperor. So by the time you get to the Empire film, you're not like, well, yeah. so he lost a Death Star. 
but the emperor just gives a new big ass ship like oh please and- the it, 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 in the uh in the in the Darth Vader comic timeline with the fact that they reintroduced tag and have him be his commander was i thought a just an absolutely inspired masterstroke because it was wonderful because i was like oh oh yes good there's there's your hook right there of a connection to the original film that not everybody died with the death star being wiped out like and also showing how vader learns and giving him somebody to overcome to become the commander of the fleet in empire strikes back i think is just an absolutely brilliant fantastic inspired piece of writing yeah i'm with you um i like the leia comic personally i think it's really interesting yeah i I like the the fact that we are um subtly connecting um the her mother and her and and i think that the reason they're doing the leia comic like this is because they're going to use it heavily for who leia is in the force awakens um uh, I, I really think that she is going oh, that's to... that's an interesting take. I think she is not going to be Princess Leia. I think she will be Queen Leia. Um, and uh, so I think it's mm. it's going to be um, very, very interesting um, to see where that goes. And I, I like the series, especially just the, everybody's question was, so Leia never really deals with the fact that her planet and all of her people just got wiped out except for anyone who happened to be off planet at that point? Um, yeah, and I I like that, and then honestly, the Kanan comic, the uh, last Padawan, the first issue was hands down incredible, and it made me wish the Clone Wars so much because I was just reminded about how much I enjoyed that series and how well it was done, um, and this comic, you know, dealing with uh, Kanan before Order sixty six, and the la- the first issue ends with Order sixty six coming in is I think just fantastic. Um yeah. I really, agree. really like it. And it answers the question of where did Kanan get that holocron? His master gave it to him. So I think that's yeah. fantastic as well. Yeah, I agree. The the other thing that uh we we have had come in, John, um, and we've been talking all over the place, but so Star Wars uh, is now on your iDevices or at heck any device yeah. you want these days because they released all of the films digitally. Uh, and uh, what do you what do you kind of think about that? Um, and does it you know are are you going to get them? Do you have them? Um, do you care? It's very difficult for me to care. Uh, because I don't feel that the extras can tell me anything I haven't discovered at this point. Um, I am bothered uh, on a nostalgic level by the replacement of the 20th Century Fox fanfare, but only because, not because it's been removed. I figured that was going to happen. I I was hoping it wouldn't, but I, I was figuring that was going to happen. But the fact that the Lucasfilm limited logo appears with repurposed and recut Star Wars music as opposed to a brand new fanfare bothers me more than anything else. Because the inclusion of the 20th Century Fox fanfare was specifically done to evoke the old serials that 
Lucas liked to watch as a kid that informed a lot of what he put into Star Wars and even Raiders. And the fact that he, you know, put that on there, it's just like at the beginning of THX 1138 when he put in the Flash Gordon opening uh, to, you know, sort of trigger with the audience what his influences were and and what the 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 impetus behind him writing things was it's it's removal should have been replaced with something more substantially fanfarish just so that we could have gone along with it so believe it or not that that is what irks me the most about the digital releases you know um I think that so say they do an Indiana Jones film and obviously it's under Lucas um film's yeah. logo. What I'm thinking is they're gonna do is they're gonna create a fanfare based on whatever series that they bring back from Lucasfilm. And so the like Marvel. Marvel has its own fanfare. It's the Marvel fanfare. They wrote it specifically for Marvel. Um yeah. Disney has its own fanfare it's and um so yeah, I kind of think that um, that may have been what they were thinking. You know, let's let's use um, the Lucasville fair, fanfare and have it be a reflection of whatever film it is that we're going to use, and we're just going to use um, some iconic Star Wars music to do that. So uh, who knows if it'll be different? I don't think it will be for you know the uh, Episode Seven release. I think it'll be the same thing. You know what irks me the most? is that they don't use the episode titles, is that when I have it in my iTunes collection, they're out of order because it's not Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. It's just Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, and then Star Wars Attack of the Clones. So A New Hope and Attack of the Clones sit next to each other because there's no episode title in there to, to let... It, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a fair complaint. Although, if everything truly is supposed to be episodic, then it doesn't matter what order in which you watch them, does it? It's not true. <laughs> you think it does matter? It does. Well, no. I mean, after you've seen them all, you can pull out any. But I, the whole point of, of of them creating more episodes in the saga that are specifically episodes, not just standalone films, is that they have episode numbers. It's a standalone film because it's not part of the saga. It's a standalone film. These aren't standalones. They are episodes in the saga of Star Wars. And that's what makes them stand apart from... So what happens when I get Rogue One digitally and it sits right next to Return of the Jedi? Well, it... it it's not just an, it's not an episode in the saga. It's a standalone film. So do they do the uh, truly terrible uh, uh, librarian uh, violating code of the Phantom Menace? It's filed under T because of the. I haven't looked in my iTunes file to see. I, I would be curious so, to see whether it's under sh- T, which I'm, it shouldn't be, or P. I'm sure it's under P. Because that's how it better be. That's usually how iTunes works. So okay. Um. So it's under Phantom Menace, comma the. Mo- most, but that's yeah. not the title of the film. It, it's true. It's true. But it would just help 
if it was just Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, then it wouldn't even matter because it would be about the Episode 1, Episode 2, Episode 3. Episode four, episode five. Maybe episode they're re- maybe they're recommending an order in which you should watch the films to refresh it for you and to have it be informed in a different manner. I don't know. I I, I think it bothers. Or maybe me. they were just extremely lazy. I, I don't think it was. I think it has to do with the fact that it's Star Wars, you, uh, the Force Awakens, and it's not Episode okay. Seven anymore. It's the Force Awakens and. I get that, but again, I I like the fact the episodic nature of the fact that it's it's that's one of those hallmarks of the serial that w- was so fun that George added, and you talked about yeah. wanting the films unaltered. Well, they've been altered pretty much from the beginning. So, which unaltered version do you want? Um, because George went back and started adding the episode titles and making minor adjustments here and there. I mean, he's made so many adjustments to these films, which I'm sure Drew can get you to a site that would tell you exactly every time they've been altered. But uh, does that site take into account the mono versus stereo mixes of Star exactly. Wars? Exactly. Is that really what you want? Do you want the mono mix of Star Wars? Do you want this? Uh, so anyway. That's a whole other podcast that we could have Drew on and argue about. Um, uh, the the wonderful host of the Standard Orbit with uh, Mike Schindler, uh, one of your co-hosts. So, um, but uh, yeah, that's well, the, I, I'm really I'm Mike's co-host. Just to make that clear, yeah, you're Mike's co-host. His co-host. And Mike and Drew are co-hosts together on on Standard Orbit. So, sorry, folks, we didn't mean to confuse you, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I what I liked about the the release here digitally is that I actually gave some great things back to the fans that they didn't put on the Blu-ray, which I, I was really mad about that they didn't give you all the Blu-ray extras as well, such as the great, fantastic content from episode one, which was the beginning, which is that great making of documentary where they start from the beginning, crafting the movie, casting the movie, talking about the budget, all of those things that were so good. That's a great documentary. Uh, and they bring all those documentaries back that, that unless you still had the DVD copies, which I didn't. Which I do. Um, then you had lost. So I liked that they gave those back to you. Only thing missing that could have made this better was having Empire of Dreams, that great documentary that they had created about the creating of the original Star Wars trilogy. It's like two hours long. Um, oh, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. And it's uh, it's not a part of the set, and I wish it was. Um, but otherwise, you know, they give you all of the um, the deleted scenes. They've I think they've even added a couple of deleted scenes that weren't available on the Blu-ray, um, some things like that. So I just like the fact that, you know, now I can have them digitally and... Um, you know, I can carry them with me wherever I go, uh, and uh, I'm not bound, obviously, um, by having to have a player. And I, I think well, the main you, you reason can carry for doing them it legally with you. Yeah, I, I, you I think the main reason for doing it as well is obviously when Episode Seven comes out, it's going to be available digitally, and they wanted that film to be able to reside with the rest of the saga that you already have. And sure. uh, we live in a digital world, so. Um, you know, I am sure that one day that somehow somebody at Disney will allow everybody to own the the unspecial editioned editions because it'll be a big money grab. Um, that's really all it is at this point for anyone because they don't. I don't think artistically they care. Um, 
I know George doesn't because the films that he wanted people to have are the Blu-ray version. So, um, yeah. it, but I think money wise, one day Disney will give people what they want just because they'll make money. But if you remember, they also sold those D- DVDs years ago that had the Laserdisc copies, um, which yep. were probably the best conditioned copies of, of those films. And they really didn't sell very well. So, well, that was sort of a Lucas fu to all, all of the people that wanted the original cuts. Is um, everybody said they wanted unaltered, so he gave them unaltered. Yes, he which did. Just he he did it in the most he, classic look, Lucas way. I have yes, I have defended. You know, I I love the prequels. I I don't have a problem with the special editions, but. He did it in the most dickish way possible of saying, fine, here, here you go. Here's the unaltered and not remastering them for anamorphic was just, it was just a giant middle finger and releasing them like, what, what was it? One year after the DVD set came out, nobody's going to want to buy them again one year later. And he knew that. And, yeah. you know, so. But I mean, it, you know, I, I think, again, it brought up that question of what do you want? You say you want them all un- unaltered. Well, here you go. I haven't touched them. Um, so I haven't. And But, but that's the yeah. problem is that fans, what they want is they want them all cleaned up. They want all of that stuff done. They just don't want what they don't want, which is I don't want, you know, Job of the Hut in there. I don't want um, extra X wings. I don't want all this other stuff. Uh, yeah, but but the thing is, but still clean it up for me. Make it look good. Give me the anamorphic widescreen. Let me have all that stuff. So it's like you can't have it both ways, fans. You know what though? Like remastered for anamorphic versus retouching. Like I, you know. I, Listen, I, I'm going to straight up fault Lucas for doing it that way because either don't release them at all or don't do it in such a way that it's just slapping every fan. You know, like he basically punished people for asking for the unaltered versions. And it's like, yeah, again, I don't have a problem with the special editions, but as as somebody who is just like every other ex just like every other uh, obsessive compulsive uh, armchair archivist in the world that grew up with these movies, I want the quote unquote untouched versions just for having them. I probably wouldn't even watch them that much, but I'd be able to say, Ooh, look, I own them, which is the same collecting impulse that drives most fans for anything. You know, what's funny is that what I think of it as is that, you know the not extended versions of Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit films? Yeah. I don't I don't even watch those. Because to me, the extended versions are the ones that are better and that I enjoy watching. You know, so I feel like, yeah, it would be like if I had spent money on both, um, to me personally. And I I don't watch the not extended versions anymore because I like the extended versions better. So I'm very much of the opinion that, like you, I wouldn't even watch the originals. And when they were when they were out there to buy, I didn't buy them when Lucas put them out there because I didn't care because I had what I right. I'm I'm enough of a a Lucas apologist, I guess, 
to say, I want what Lucas wants because he's the creator. And if he thinks what's best for me as a Star Wars fan is to have the special editions, well, heck, it's his creation and he knows best. And maybe that makes me sound like an idiot, but what I think it makes me is a fan of that man and his creation. And I have respect for him to say, I don't know better than the creator. And maybe that has something to do with, and I'm going to get real philosophical real quick, but maybe that has something to do with me being a Christian and saying, I don't feel like I know better than God. And when I pretend like I know better than him, uh, things don't turn out so well for me. And yeah, that's a really weird place to go, but I, I feel the same way, strangely, about you know Lucas and Star Wars as I do about my faith. Lucas is the creator of Star Wars. I feel like he knows what's best for it, and I don't. And I'm not going to argue with the person who created it, because that's just stupid. For me, I won't go quite that deep philosophically, but I will say that I understand... Hello, welcome to Matthew's Philosophy Corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, do, I do understand why people have a problem with not having the originals, and the reason, as I see it, is this is that my hometown is driving distance from where I live and it doesn't even resemble where I grew up anymore. It, it's actually heartbreaking for me I to go back there <laughs> because it just, it, it kills me inside because it doesn't look, the, those old paths are gone, the old homes are gone. Like there's just so much about it that's changed that it kills me. But... I have the photographs. I can remember what it was like to grow up there. I can remember what it was like to live in those times. And I think that making it so that I cannot watch the original, quote-unquote, untouched versions, and again, just to tweak everybody else, do you mean the 70-millimeter print of Empire Strikes Back or the 35-millimeter print of Empire Strikes Back? Because there are three different shots between the two of them. But anyway... If you go back to your hometown, you can at least take solace in the fact that you have the photos from when you were growing up. And by the original untouched Star Wars movies not being released, you don't have your photos. You can only see your hometown the way that it exists now instead of the way that it exists the way you remember it. And so I do understand why that bothers people who grew up with them a certain way. And that's just me. Well, and I think what I I love about this this our format too, John, is and even just us having this conversation is we just gave two great impassioned pleas of 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 two different sides of the issue. And neither yeah. one of us is right. You know? Um both of our sure. opinions there are completely valid and neither of us is saying that the other is wrong because I completely agree with what you just said and I can completely understand even better why it would matter to some people and why it doesn't matter to me. Um, so yeah, I, I that is, that's a great way of, of just explaining both sides of that issue and that really n nobody's right or wrong here. Um, we just, we need to be respectful. And I think in the end, um, what's kind of frustrated me, I guess, about Star Wars fandom 
sometimes is that fans have felt like in some ways they know better than George and that George owes them something. Well, George doesn't owe them anything, you know, um, and if he doesn't want to do something as the creator, he shouldn't be forced to do it because other people want him to, you know. Um, and I should have enough respect for him as a creator and a person to say, okay, I can let that go because it's not my, I don't own it. And we as fans like to say that we do own things and that's, that's just not the case. You know, um, I don't think, I, I think the, the creation is, is of its creator and what I get out of it is for me personally, but that doesn't make me a co-owner then of that creation it just makes me an enjoyer of the creation um and that's a different thing you know um i get to be a part of it and especially with star wars uh we get to be a part of of star wars in a way that we don't get to be in a lot of fandoms because um you know geez just go to the star wars website they love fans they there's a list of 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 um fan clubs you know whether it's the the rebel legion or the uh, 501st there's star wars podcasts on there star wars websites all from fans so star wars has embraced fandom in a way that many other like even star trek hasn't um and i i think that's really 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 cool that they you know care enough about the fans especially when in a lot of ways, the fans have treated George Lucas sometimes very, very badly. Um, and yet yeah. still, they embrace them because they realize without the fans, there's nothing. You know, there isn't Star Wars. We wouldn't still have it if people didn't still have this passion for it. And um, I think I hope, and I hope that that's something that Star Trek will learn, is that it's the fans that make it continue. And we have for generations with Star Trek fans. Fans saved Star Trek in the first place with letter writing campaigns, and then they helped bring it back because um, the studio realized that, especially after Star Wars, they could make another series or a movie and people would be interested. Fans helped save the series. They helped get Next Generation on the air. They helped bring it to the golden age with Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. Um, fans also helped and kill Enterprise. Star. Yeah, fans helped kill uh, Star Trek 2 by not watching Enterprise. So, um, <laughs> yeah. and I think, again, that's kind of the difference between um, Star Wars and, and Star Trek fans is um, Star Trek fans got oversaturated and Star Wars fans didn't. And Star Wars fans are about to be oversaturated and it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, if they do it well or if they do it poorly. And I'm just crossing my fingers... Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm crossing my fingers that it, it turns Same out here. well. Same here, man. On that, we can agree. Well, dude, we have been talking for like almost two hours and Ruby is really giving me the, the, the side <laughs> eye telling me that it's time to close. And she's kind of yep. pissed because we almost drank all the scotch. 
Um, <laughs> so hey, she knew what she was getting into when she asked me. That's to stay. true. That's true. Um, of course, she keeps showing us pictures on on uh, her phone of the things to talk about um, that she wants to hear us talk about with Star Wars. Um, if you guys didn't know, Ruby's a huge Star Wars fan. So, um, <laughs> well, it's not the only thing that we have been talking about on Trek FM today, but. Uh, here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. It's not an overstatement, and you had said in your introduction that without without him and his hand guiding all of this, then then it's unlikely that two would have been what it was and if it had not been successful then it, it you know it probably would have meant the end of star trek at that point earl gray like i'm expecting ricardo martavon to like walk around the corner and be like captain picard welcome this is rise of five the shuttlecraft the shuttlecraft the orb curzon is involved with the kittimer yep. cords Spock is at Kittimer when those are being talked about, so you would think they would have run into each other. They probably least. hung out in the bar together. To the journey! One guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out now! <laughs> the ready room. The movie series would not have relaunched and, and become what it was if not for the amazing bounce of. The Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan was to Star Trek the same thing that uh, The Best of Both Worlds was to Next Generation. Commentary, Trek stars. It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end. Literary Treks. I've always liked the... uh, I like that episode for... I mean, it's one of the most derided of the of the original series episodes, but yet I always it has a place in my heart for some reason. I've always enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it over. So um, I wanted to do something with those guys, the Scalbians. The Six O Two Club. Like I, I could kind of dismiss Droids in Distress and Fight or Flight and everything like that, and I was just kind of watching the background. But all of a sudden, I started catching myself, like stopping working and, <laughs> and just focusing on watching. And, uh, and so it just got better and better and better. And I think I was hooked by episode four, Breaking Ranks. That's when I was like, okay, I like this show. This is good. Warp 5. In the history of Axanar, Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Guys, check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. We really do appreciate it when you hit that subscribe button or you give us a star rating and review. Um, John knows with having his own podcast, what star ratings and reviews do for you on the iTunes platforms. Oh, yes. Which make it so much easier for people to find you on iTunes. Um, and they it helps you rise in the rankings. It helps your visibility. It basically just helps fans find us. And uh, with the 602 Club being a new show, it's definitely helpful. So I really appreciate all of you that have done that for us. And I would ask you to go do that for me if you get a chance. Um, just go into iTunes, give us that star rating review, hit that subscribe button, and tell as many people as you can about it. 
But guess what? If you're not an Apple user, we want to make sure you're covered as well. You can find the shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website or grab the RSS link as well. If you do want that RSS link, just go to the show page. You'll see some icons there. One of them is RSS link. You can copy that RSS link and put that in any of your um, podcasting applications where you catch those podcasts. Another way you can help keep all the shows coming to you is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. Guys, we are a listener-supported network. Um, With all the costs that go into uh, creating podcasts, hosting them, putting them online, um, it's an expensive process. And uh, so without you, we can't make this happen. So just check out patreon.com slash trekfm and you'll find all the current goals and milestone contributions we've got there for you. Really appreciate your support and hope that you again that you'll join the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. I'd like to thank two special gentlemen here. Uh, I wish uh, Norm could have been here tonight. Um, he's my one of my associate producers. You can find him on Twitter at Norman Lau. And of course, he's a big supporter of the Star Trek Axonar project. And again, that. Of course, he's a big supporter of the Star Trek Axonar project, and he can be found on their Facebook page as well as the Babel Conference, and he's the host of Warp 5. And a huge thank you to Ken Tripp for his support of the network and being an associate producer here on the 602 Club as well. Guys, if you would like to contact us about anything that John and I talked about tonight here about Star Wars, I mean, really just two guys shooting the breeze about Star Wars, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. We'd love to get some voicemails on the subject. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm or on Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and of course we're on the listeners only discussion group, the Babel Conference, an amazing place to have these kind of discussions, and we hope you'll find us there. Uh, John, man, um, tell everybody where they can find you online, especially about your other podcasts that you do, and uh, so that people, if they want to get in contact with you about Star Wars, which I know you're a huge fan of because we've been talking about it for like two hours, man. Um, yeah, I've given and, myself away. Yeah, and and we could probably talk about it for another two hours. Easy. Uh, yeah, man. Where can everybody find you? Well, uh, you can find me on the Trek FM network. I'm actually appearing on Commentary Trek Stars, uh, which is a delightful podcast where we talk about the non-Star Trek work of Trek creators. And uh, you can also find me on a podcast called Words with Nerds, which is available through uh, Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, etc., uh, where we uh, we talk about a lot of things um, yes, relating yes, to the, the nerd and geek world. It's a good show, too. If you guys uh, just enjoy geek conversation that kind of mirrors a little bit what we do here where we just kind of free float it i mean we kind of had an outline of some things we wanted to maybe talk about but honestly we just hit the ground running and that's kind of what you guys do on the (laughs) the podcast every week you and your friend craig (laughs) yeah yeah we do thank you for thank you for the compliment and of course if you want to uh reach me uh, the best way is through twitter at kessel junkie k-e-s-s-e-l-j-u-n-k-i-e and if you're as big a Star Wars fan as Matt or myself, that name made you chuckle. It's true. It does. 
Well, guys, <laughs> uh, of course, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I do a couple of other podcasts here on the network. I do one with Christopher Jones called The Orb, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. And then I have my show with Dan Gunther, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And that is Literary Treks, which is a lot of fun. It is. And, of course, you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42 A Life in Between dot wordpress dot com well guys before ruby just hauls off and kicks our butts out of here i want to <laughs> say thank you for joining us with this great late night supplemental i hope you guys enjoy it and y'all come back now you hear you